they don't historically make big acquisitions. They prefer to do a lot of things in-house. Even if you look at their streaming strategy, they haven't acquired studios or companies. They have acquired the talent. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, August 21st, which means it's Media Monday. Today, we're joined by a special guest, our ace media reporter, Dylan Byers, filling in for John Kelly, who was on the road. Dylan is here with his take on Apple, maybe, maybe, maybe buying Disney or possibly becoming a strategic partner for ESPN. And whether either of those scenarios, hypothetical as they may be, would make Bob Iger happy. We also talk about a new programming lineup for CNN, which is investing in a new generation of anchors and a leadership shakeup at CBS News. We discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. You know, it's my birthday today, actually, so I got a little treat for everybody, and I'm treating myself. John Kelly is not here, which I am just so happy about. You know, I get to be free of him on my birthday. But I am joined by Puck's real media reporter, Dylan Byers, for a very special edition of Media Monday. Dylan, how are you, buddy? Happy birthday, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. You're 21? I'm 22? feeling 22. Um... <laughs> Dylan, you have a piece up on Puck that just came out about a long-standing fantasy, uh, and that is the idea about the long-standing fantasy out there by maybe people inside these companies, maybe people outside, of Apple buying Disney. This would be obviously like a huge, huge media story. Bob Iger, when he was up in Sun Valley, uh, you were up there uh, when he gave this interview to CNBC, mentioned the idea of a strategic partner out there somewhere for ESPN as he was talking about the roadmap for Disney. How realistic is this possibility? I mean, I feel like every single media company and tech company in the world would love to be acquired by Apple. Does the Disney thing actually, though, feel more realistic uh, and something that might actually happen either for Disney or for ESPN? Well, yeah. So so like you said, it's been this sort of perennial fever dream of, I guess, the industry, you know, analysts, some shareholders, certainly the media, uh, myself included. And, you know, I think what it stems from, first of all, is one, I think there's just sort of this notion given the consolidation in the industry and, and the differences of scale between obviously the tech giants and then the legacy media companies. There's sort of this notion that inevitably we're going to arrive at this point where the trillion dollar or multi-trillion dollar tech companies are going to acquire these smaller legacy media assets. And first, that that's a very sort of crude way of thinking about it. It's sort of just, 
you know, arrives that conclusion because, you know, party A has X amount of money and party B, you know, needs an exit. I think that the reason that the Apple Disney thing keeps coming up is there have been so many instances in which um, these two companies have established a relationship. Obviously, Disney acquired Pixar, uh, where Steve Jobs sat on the board of Disney, Bob Iger sat on the board of Apple. And then in 2019, Bob Iger wrote that were Steve Jobs still alive today, Apple and Disney would have merged or at least would have explored the idea. So I, I think there's ample reason for people to sort of make assumptions that this is something that is always sort of in the cards. Why would he assume that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good That's question. That's a big assumption. I mean, it's a big assumption. I think what you have in Apple and Disney are two companies that manage their brands very, very carefully. You have in Apple a company that obviously has big ambitions in streaming, even if it sometimes seems to be dragging its feet in terms of how it gets there. And then in Disney, you have one of the most storied uh, family-friendly brands in the world, which has an incredible library of IP, certainly on the entertainment side, and then also with ESPN on the sports side. And so there are sort of all these ways in which if you're just sort of thinking in the abstract, this makes a lot of sense. Now, there are a lot of ways in which it doesn't make a lot of sense. One is that, you know, I interviewed Eddie Q, the uh, SVP of services at Apple five years ago, and I asked him this question about, you know, would you acquire Disney or would you acquire Netflix? And as he pointed out, and as Apple executives are very fond of pointing out, they don't historically make big acquisitions. They prefer to do a lot of things in-house. Even if you look at their streaming strategy, they haven't acquired studios or companies, they have acquired the talent, right? The heads of Sony, they hung out a little shingle for Richard Plepler, formerly of HBO. And so big acquisitions like this are not exactly part of their DNA. The most sort of obvious roadblock to all of this is Apple has absolutely no interest in tying itself up with the declining linear assets, for instance. They don't want to be in the business. <laughs> Apple, who is constantly thinking... 5, 10, 15 years ahead does not want to be in the business of trying to manage the decline of like ABC or the Disney television networks. Yeah. I, I don't see any evidence that Apple has any desire to get into the theme parks business, which is a significant revenue driver for Disney. So there are all these reasons that it's sort of not as obvious as some Wall Street analysts suggest it might be. I think what's changed and the reason that this is sort of coming back into the conversation in a very big way is because of that Bob Iger interview in Sun Valley, where he says he effectively puts a for sale sign on the linear television networks and says that ESPN is looking for a strategic partner. All of a sudden, you're beginning to see Disney think about fundamentally restructuring its business, getting rid of some of these assets that aren't appealing to a buyer like Apple and then you can sort of, if you sort of play that forward far enough, you begin to see how Disney could be a more appealing acquisition target for Apple. And, and I think, and I think going back to ESPN for a minute, I think the way that this might start, if it starts at all, would be by having Apple be that strategic partner with ESPN. Uh -huh. and, and through that, you know, on, on the one hand, first of all, Apple gets a ton of sports content at a time when they're trying to beef up their streaming service. 
Disney gets a partner in terms of marketing and distribution, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can sort of see how you're laying the groundwork for an even bigger deal further down the line. Interesting. So in that universe, this is getting way down the line probably for. Oh, it's all fantasy. Yeah, it's all fantasy fever dream stuff. But for Warner Brothers Discovery, when they came about, they got rid of HBO, like the, the app on everyone's TV. And now it's all Max. Like, is there a world where all this would just be bundled into Apple hardware and like Apple TV or like, you know, theoretically would ESPN and Disney continue to be these like standalone brands, even though they're owned by Apple? Or is this just like way down the line for you to even speculate? Yeah, well, I mean, no, I mean, no, it's a, it's a, it's a significant question here because we, we do have the example with HBO Max versus Max. And part of what's happening here in this consolidation is a question about the, you know, the power and significance of brands. Obviously, you don't acquire Disney and then get rid of the Disney brand. I mean, what Disney has built up over 100 years is sort of unrivaled in the entertainment space. Right. On the other hand, do these things sort of live inside of a broader Apple TV offering? And does there continue to be a sort of like ESPN inside of Apple TV? Uh, you know, and, and if you, again, play it far enough down the line, is, does the Disney content live inside of there? Or is the service itself called Disney because it is just that powerful i don't know i think these were probably like you said getting it getting ahead of ourselves but you know in thinking about all that i think what stands out is none of this seems terribly incongruous right uh-huh. i mean if you think about the kind of brand that apple is how sort of ubiquitous it seems in the culture certainly at a domestic level if less so at a global level and then you think about disney the same way and you think about sort of how responsible these these companies are how much they protect their brand how family friendly they are this all sort of starts to make sense right i mean mickey mouse already has like his place on the apple watch so you can sort of see the ways in which the philosophical i guess for lack of a better word i guess editorial strategies here sort of already align i think it's just a question again of breaking off all of those parts of the business that don't align And when you think about how long it's going to take Disney to get rid of ABC and FX and all of that, find a strategic partner for ESPN, whether that be Apple or someone else. And then like you start thinking about what they're doing with their theme parks business. I mean, this is all, again, a long time down the line, but it seems obvious. And you've got, again, on the one hand, in Apple, you have a company that wants entertainment IP and it wants to get further into sports, right? They've Mm. got a 10-year exclusive global partnership with Major League Soccer. They've dipped their toe in the water of Major League Baseball. You get ESPN and you're you're getting rights to some of like the best live sports assets. And then in Disney, you've got a company that I think last time I checked is some 40, 45 billion dollars in debt. It is tethered to these declining linear assets and is in desperate need of a reinvention, I think, in terms of the business model. And it has now entered an era in, in this sort of second Iger era where everything is on the table and they are open to all sorts of ideas about how to rethink their company and, and how to make this work for the long term. On that note, I think the information reported on Friday that Verizon has talked with Disney about some kind of ESPN partnership. I'm curious what you make of that because... Like you said, Apple and Disney are 
top tier, top draft pick, revered brands. Verizon is clearly a known brand and is everywhere and has a lot of reach. Would ESPN have to have an exclusive deal? Like, is that what Iger is looking for? Verizon and ESPN, you guys are the exclusive strategic partner. Apple, you guys are the exclusive strategic partner. Or is this more about just like distributing ESPN across (laughs) as many screens as possible? I think the goal is always going to be to reach as many screens as possible. And I think that is particularly important when you're talking about sports rights. I mean, one argument that ESPN has long made, ESPN year after year finds themselves at a greater disadvantage competing for live sports rights with the bigger tech players, the companies with deeper pockets. And the argument they make is the reason they continue to get some of the rights they do is because the leagues want to be in front of as many potential viewers as possible. I don't see any scenario in which ESPN becomes harder for people to access beyond just the fact that one day you're going to have to pay your monthly subscription for it. I think in Apple, they see a company that has incredible, again, domestically speaking, at least has incredible reach and that is sort of so already embedded in the culture that any sports fan would sort of like willingly sign up for this if the incentives were right. And as for the Verizon deal, you know, I haven't I haven't really looked into it, but it strikes me as something that's probably not terribly likely. Yeah. Dylan, I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about CNN and CBS News. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Welcome back to the Powers of Be, everybody. It's Media Monday, and I'm joined by Dylan Byers. Dylan, you filed a piece last week about uh, CNN and CBS News. On the CNN front, they announced a big sort of lineup reshuffle, shuffle being the key word, because they were mostly tapping into existing talent at the network. And in myself reading through the list of names, friends with some of those people, in fact, and all really beloved inside the network. Give our listeners uh, who might not be watching CNN from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. a rundown of what some of those announcements are and then what your read into it is. Yeah, well, look, like you said, it is sort of a reshuffling of the deck chairs. um, But to CNN's credit, the the sort of uh, new four-pronged leadership, it is probably like, given the hand they had, it was probably like the in many ways sort of made some smart and thoughtful moves. I think the headline here is that you've got some additions to the broader primetime lineup. So after Caitlin Collins at 9 p.m., it'll be Abby Phillip 
uh, at 10, and then uh, Laura Coates uh, at 11 p.m. Other thing, Pamela Brown is getting a show, midday show, 3 p.m. I think there's some speculation I've heard that at some point Wolf Blitzer is going to leave the late afternoon, leave CNN, maybe after Wait, really? 2024. Wait, I mean, eventually. Oh, it, man. These things I'm must a- happen eventually. I am a me- I am a charter member of the Situation Room. That was my first uh, lo- real job at CNN, and I I am a proud member of the Wolf Pack. We love Wolf. I I love Wolf. No one gets me to stand by uh, better than he does. And then uh, Phil Mattingly becomes the new morning co-host. All respect to Phil. I'm not sure how much that does to sort of buoy CNN's morning prospects. Somehow, hey, lay off Phil Mattingly. I love Phil Mattingly. I, Unfortunately, I, he's, he's an Ohio State fan. But <laughs> <laughs> go on, give me your take. No, great, great journalist. I just think CNN in the mornings, uh, whether it was the Zucker era or the Chris Licht era. And and the sort of you know Don Lemon Caitlin Collins disaster that was I they've never ever really figured out how to give Morning Joe or broadcast mornings or anything a run for its money. I don't I fully understand why that's such a tough nut to crack. I don't think that this is going to do it. But if you look at the Abby Phillip move, you look at coming after Caitlin Collins at nine. You look at Phil Magley in the mornings. There is sort of an investment in the younger a younger generation of talent here. And I think what the network is feeling is like, look, we've got, these are great journalists who have demonstrated that they're, they can be very good on camera and that they, you know, they've got a tireless work ethic and they will learn how to become great hosts. One recurring theme I hear from many of the veteran media executives I talk to who have experience in this space is that, Actually, what you need to do is you need to train people for these positions before they get them. And one one thing that CNN has been struggling with, as much as people respect and admire Caitlin Collins as a correspondent and as a reporter, is was she thrown into the anchor chair far too prematurely by Chris Mm -hmm. Licht? And are are they suffering for that now in terms of the quality of the show and the ratings? And is there a question that something... A similar fate could befall, you know, an Abby Phillip or Phil Mattingly. Hopefully not. But yeah, like pulling back here further from from all this sort of inside baseball, th- there's no you know huge stroke here, huge swing here that is going to radically alter CNN's fortunes, both in the grand scheme of the inexorable decline of linear media, nor in the sort of immediate ratings war with yeah. MSNBC or Fox News. But Having covered the the last year of CNN as closely as I did, what I can say is stability matters, clarity of mission matters, and I think that the leadership has put that in place now, and at least heading into 2024, the network knows what the programming slate looks like, which is a low bar, but it's something, and credit to them for that. Credit to them for that, and credit to them for the diversity, too, because this this is a more diverse lineup than we usually see in cable news. Yeah, and I think you said something important, which is the generational dynamic going on in this in this announcement. And now, by the way, you know, sure, maybe there might be a learning curve for some of these younger folks who are being put in the anchor chair. But like for CNN, when, you know... <laughs> You know, ratings aren't great right now. Like now is the time to like get these folks doing batting practice and taking snaps or whatever sports analogy you want to use. Right. Like and and I was looking at it, too. And you mentioned this in your piece. So like Christian Amanpour, CNN legend, you know, she has a show on 
Saturday morning, which is, you correctly say, like the Siberia of cable news. Chris Wallace, not a CNN veteran, but he came over during the CNN Plus moment. He has a show on Saturday morning. And then you mentioned Wolf might ride off into the sunset at some point (laughs) in the next few years. And then you have folks who are closer to like our age stepping in, starting with the morning, like Casey Hunt, longtime Mm -hmm. political reporter, will be hosting a morning show. Phil Mattingly, roughly my age. Uh, Abby Phillip, younger than me. Victor Blackwell, younger than me. (laughs) Manu, great young reporter on Capitol Hill. Um, Man, like Abby Phillip, Caitlin, and Victor Blackwell, Pam Brown. Now is the time to start developing your bench because like a lot of the people on CNN, I was like on a flight back from Iowa the other day and I was on Delta so I could like watch live TV and I had CNN on for a minute. And, you know, I noticed it too. Like I'm not a spring chicken, I guess, but I was looking at some of the anchors and I'm like, oh boy, like they're just starting to look a little old. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like you got to turn the page at some point and making that investment now seems like a smart decision. Dylan, before you go, one more item you covered in your reporting last week was a story out of CBS News, which is CBS News co-president Niraj Kamlani was basically forced to step down from his role. What's the backstory there? Yeah, the backstory there has actually been sort of evident for a long time. For at least a year, I think I was reporting on it in the fall of last year, just the reports about complaints internally at CBS News about Neeraj's management style, which was sort of described as, I mean, pick your term, brusque, brash, bullying. I, one term I heard a lot was mansplaining. Uh, often mm. it was said that his he was sort of dismissive, especially toward female staffers. And sort of these complaints came up over and over again. And, you know, there were multiple sort of investigations or reviews over the course of his nearly two-year tenure there. The short story is that there was no great actionable offense. This is not, you know, I don't want to overstate it. He, he, he didn't do anything that, you know, is <laughs> like beyond just sort of make, you know, make people sort of frustrated and angry with him. Uh-huh. But I think for almost two years, the, the folks upstairs at CBS, George Cheeks, Sherry Redstone, uh, Bob Bakish, have been dealing with a sort of like persistent thing that one source at CBS News described as the nearage problem, which is that, he offended a lot of people in the way he talked to people and he meddled in shows in ways that people didn't like and people didn't like that and stories kept coming up about that and investigations kept being launched. And as a result, I think George Cheeks finally came to the conclusion that he should just do away with the nearage problem. And so he found the sort of graceful exit you find for anyone you want to get rid of, which is, you know, you mm-hmm. let them go do documentaries until their contract runs out, which is, I think, I'm pretty confident is what happened here. The upshot of this is that uh, Wendy McMahon, who is his sort of co-leader, co-president, will now take over um, as a sort of full-time leader. And I guess as as a nice note, you now have a situation where all six of the major uh, broadcast and cable news networks are sort of in effect being run by women or groups of women, which is probably a good thing. But Again, like this, as with the CNN lineup, this is a leadership change that doesn't sort of mean all that much in the grand scheme of the CBS News trajectory, I think. Uh, Dylan, thank you so much for subbing in for John on Media Monday. Have a great week, buddy. Sure. Happy birthday, Peter. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. 
We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.